How's everybody doing? I can see you out there. All right. Great. Uh, so I'm going to be going on vacation. Yay. Uh, I will, I'll be here. I won't miss any Sundays, but I'm going to be on vacation, take two little trips here. And so I'm not going to be preaching for the next two weeks. Uh, next week, Chad is going to bring, he's going to be the one-man show. He's going to lead the worship, then he's going to bring the message, I think, out of John chapter 11. Right, Chad? I can't see. It's a thumbs up. Okay. And the title is With Those Who. I don't know what that means, but you'll have to come and see. And then the following week, in his preaching debut, drum roll please, uh, Sean Cadd is going to bring a message from the book of Lamentations. I think Lamentations and Hope or something like that. Sean? Yeah. So there'll be hope with Lamentation, which is a, a thing that we as believers can do, and we'll see a little bit of that today. Uh, now, last week we got to the end of Romans chapter 12, and it's a chapter filled with practical instructions, commands, instructing us how to live in this world, how to live the Christian life in this world. Uh, I think it fits perfectly with what we're going through. It fits perfectly with times of trouble. It fits perfectly with times of, of non-trouble. It, it, it's, it's universal in its application, and we'll see some of, some of that again today. Because since uh, I didn't want to go to chapter 13 until I get back from vacation, I thought we'd spend one more week over in chapter 12. So this will be the 14th message from Romans chapter 12. Uh, there's one other chapter that took 14 messages in Romans. Anyone care to guess? Chapter 8. Chapter 8 and 12 are to me like the, the two. Uh, the, chapter 8 is the theological chapter uh, culmination of the theology of Romans, and then chapter 12 is the beginning, and, and, and that provides the foundation for the application of the book of Romans. So, in some ways, today is going to be review, but I also want to add something new, uh, something that I pray uh, as we uh, understand it more, as we come to understand it better, will motivate us in our pursuit to live the Christian life, to obey these commands that were given in uh, Romans chapter 12. But I'm saving that for last. First, let's review. I, I want to begin by observing the commands. Specifically, I want to... So chapter 12 is filled with the number of commands, and we'll, we're, we're going to kind of skip, I think, verses 4 through 8. I'm not going to talk about those right this week. We're going to sort of review 1 through 3 will be in there, and then 9 through 21, where most of the practical commands are found. In these 13 verses, we find around 24 commands. I've mentioned that, and I hope, uh, I hope we know the theme of these commands by now. Anyone know the theme of Romans chapter 9, uh, 12, 9 through 21? Genuine love. You guys are so good. It's found right at the, the beginning of verse 9. Let love be genuine. And following this opening, I think, thematic command, Paul goes on to give 23 more commands that relate to this genuine or unhypocritical real love that we're supposed to have. Now, we've already gone through these verses uh, in the past 13 weeks, verse by verse, command by command. So there won't, I'm not going to go into detail again today. 
If, you, if, if as I'm speaking, if you're online or here today, if, if I brush over something, you go, wait, I don't get that. You can go back. They're online. Uh, they're on YouTube, all the messages, I think, and then on our website, the audio, and you can focus in on the message that deals with that specific command. So there won't be much detail. I want us to get more of a general overview this morning. I want to help us uh, get, get some, uh, be able to remember these commands. And so to do that, I've divided them into four categories. I don't know if Paul had these four categories in mind, but I see them as I read through uh, these verses. First, there's, there are general commands. So I'm going to divide them out. I'm not going to read them. I'm going to sort of uh, topicize them, these, these commands. First, there are general commands, and we're talking about Romans chapter 9, chapter 12. Verses 9 through 21, general commands that tell us how to be a loving person. Okay? These sort of apply internally to us. This is who you should be. If we're going to love people the way God wants us to, then we'll obey these commands. We'll be these kinds of people. People who, as Romans 12 9 says, right after let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. As those who, we're commanded to hate evil and cling to, hold fast to what is good. And as we talked about, that, that's really holding fast to God and the things of God. God is the only good thing. We not only refrain in doing that, we not only refrain from doing evil to others, which is certainly genuine love, but we are also able to help people uh, avoid evil. And we're all also able to point them to what is truly good. And what is the greatest good? God himself. In this fallen world, uh, when we abhor evil and when we hold fast to good, when that's the kind of person you are, we provide this example uh, of what it means to follow after a, a loving God, a different kind of God, a God who loves people. So those who hate evil and cling to good are, are loving people. And then in verse 11, we're commanded, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. In other words, serve the Lord with passion. Be passionate about doing what God has called you to do and passionate service to the Lord. If you, if you read the Word of God, if you read these commands we're given, it uh, means genuinely loving and serving other people. Service to the Lord means loving Him and loving uh, your neighbor as yourself. Passionate, hardworking people are loving people. Then in verse 12, we're told to rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. As we rejoice in the future hope of our salvation and and our eternal relationship with God, we can release our our grasp, our grip on on the world and the things of this world because our eyes are not focused here. I mean, this to me, this, this, these three words, rejoice and hope, has maybe been the biggest application for me in this time that we're experiencing. As, my, as I see the world around us and I, I experience sorrow over a number of things, I'm able to rejoice, not in the world, but in the hope that I have in Jesus Christ and the hope that we have in Christ. And so we can, we can, say, we can say and release our ties to this world and risk sharing with others, sharing both our material possessions that, that we tend to cling to, and, and, and just sharing that hope that we've been giving in Christ. Hopeful people are loving people. And as we're patient in tribulation, as, as tribulations come upon us, 
We're able to, to love, to demonstrate patience with others as, as others uh, uh, provide us with tribulations and as we show love to them. Patient people are loving people. And as we're constant in prayer, you know, this we could have a whole message on this, but, but we can pray for the needs of others. Praying people are loving people. And then verse 16 we read, Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. I think one of maybe the greatest killer of love for others and love for God is pride. Self-centeredness. Focus on self. Putting yourself above others. Thinking you know more than others. Believing your thoughts and needs are more important than, than others. But Paul says, don't be haughty. Don't be high-minded. Don't be prideful. Instead, in love, associate with the lowly, those who your society, your culture, call less than. Be with them. Spend time with them. Never be wise in your own sight. Never think you've figured it all out. Humble people are loving people. So first, Paul gives us commands that show us how to be loving people. And I think if we follow these commands, we're going to stand out in this world as examples, as ambassadors for Christ. Then second, there are commands that show us how to love one another in the church. That's us, the uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. In verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Have a, we talked about this, have this family kind of love. This is, this is family time with one another. Not that there aren't problems and issues and strifes and disagreements, but we ultimately love one another. We're ultimately willing to lay down our lives even for one another. Love one another by preferring to give honor. Preferring that, that those around you in the body uh, receive honor more than you are receiving honor. Then Paul says in verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. Speaking of the, the actual physical welfare of one another. When brothers and sisters in Christ are in need, we're to be there. We're to come alongside and love them by helping them out. And whether those needs are physical, emotional, spiritual, we're there ministering to them. Verse 16, we find live in harmony with one another. Or as we talked about, be of the same mind towards one another. And that doesn't mean we have to agree about everything. In love, listen to one another though and, and seek to understand one another. So second, Paul gives us commands that show us how to love one another. Then third, there are commands that apply to everyone. How to love all people. In the church, out of the church, verse 13, he says, seek to show hospitality. This applies to Christian, non-Christian, especially to strangers. In love, invite people in, share with them, help to meet their needs, be hospitable. Shine forth as people who care about the needs of others. Then in verse 15, we read, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. No matter what circumstances we find others in, in love, we're to have compassion for them. We're to come alongside them. We're to empathize with them. We're to put ourselves in, in their shoes. Rejoicing, weeping. Verse 17, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. This doesn't mean that, that, that what we do is defined by what others think is honorable. It means that you consider those around you. 
And you seek to live in an honorable way towards all. And finally, verse 18, we're told, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Seek peace. It's not always possible because some in the world will have no peace with God or His people. But, but in love, seek to live at peace, tranquility, and in harmony even with all. So those are the commands that instruct us uh, how to love all people. And finally, and, and most difficultly, you see there's a progression here. There are commands that tell us how to love your enemies. And this is radical. This is where it, it goes be, uh, above and beyond the call of duty, I would say. It says, bless those, verse 14, who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Seek good. Uh, that's what this word bless means. We're going to talk about, uh, we're going to use the, uh, see this word bless uh, a number of ways today, uh, especially in our third point, hint. But uh, this is a different this is a different bless than the, the one we'll come to, and I'll, I'll talk about that when we get to it. This means to seek the good of. Seek the good of those who persecute you, uh, those who do you evil, those who would curse you. Seek to bless them. That's crazy. Then in verse 17, again, repay no one evil for evil. That leads to verse 19, which says, Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is what we looked at last week. We saw that, that in love, we have to let go. We have to let go of our desires for vengeance and trust that God will make sure justice is done, that God is a God of justice and He will take care of it one way or another. Justice will be served. Christ, if, if, if your enemy comes to Christ, he'll be forgiven and justice will be served through Christ. If he doesn't, then your enemy will pay for his uh, injustices. And more than just letting go of your vengeance, that would be enough. That would be hard enough. We're also to seek to love our enemies by meeting their needs. Bless them, we're told in verse 14. Feed them. Give them something to drink. And in so doing, we are not overcome by evil but we overcome evil with good. So, so that, that's a quick review of the commands in Romans chapter 12, 9 through 21. The commands that just instruct us in different ways how to, how to be a loving person and how to love these groups of people, these different kinds of people we encounter in our world. But before we move on, I, I want to remind us of something very important. That is, uh, for the most part, these commands involve not just our actions, but our emotions. We're not just commanded to do certain things, but we are commanded by God, through His Spirit, inspired in the Apostle Paul, we're commanded to feel in certain ways. God demands of us, His children, that we feel in certain ways. God is commanding us to be a different kind of person. 
One who genuinely loves other people. And not just does loving actions, but feels genuine love for people. Otherwise, why say genuine? Why, have, uh, why, why call it, uh, specifically talk about uh, not being hypocritical in your love? Who feels affection. We're to be people who feel affection for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to hate We're to hate it when evil is done to others, when we see evil in our world. We're to be people who have empathy and compassion on others. We're to be people who are passionate. There's emotion here about serving the Lord and serving others. We're to be people who love and desire the good of our enemies. That's what it means to let love be genuine. It's a real love that flows forth into radical action towards others, including enemies. And one of the questions we've continually asked throughout our study, as we've walked through these verses, is how can we possibly do that? Not just how can we act in the way God commands, we can possibly muster up the self-discipline to do that, maybe, But how can we feel in the way God commands? Not possible to to just say, feel this way. Okay, that guy guy just called me this name. Now I'm supposed to feel love towards him. I, I can't muster that up myself. And throughout, we've seen different answers to this question. I mean, it's really, it's really, uh, Uh, different ways of looking at it. We've talked about it in different ways. So what I want to do is just give us those answers one more time in summary form, again to review, and help us in obeying the commands. Because we can know them, and that's good. That's the beginning. But we really are called uh, to radically love people. We're called to obey these radical commands this is, and this is mainly a review of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. These are foundation, this is the foundation that Paul builds on that, to then call us to the radical commands we've just observed. And so again, we're not able to spend a great deal of time here. There's a lot here. We spent four or five weeks in these verses already. But I want to remind you of how it's possible to obey the difficult commands that God gives. Paul begins this chapter by laying the, the, the foundation of obedience that he calls us to. He says, remember God's mercies. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Our motivation for obedience to the commands that follow are the mercies of God because of what God has done for us. The mercies that Paul detailed uh, throughout Romans chapter 1 through 11. And and if you don't have time to read that, just go to chapter 8. Read that. The mercies of God overflow in this chapter. The love of God overflow in Romans chapter 8. The mercies of forgiveness and justification and righteousness and salvation and unconditional love that God has for His people and so much more. We must remember that it's only by the love and mercy of God that we who are sinners uh, are saved. That's the foundation. God in His mercy provided Jesus Christ who died in our place and took on the wrath of God that we deserved. So Paul appeals to us by the mercies of God to be obedient to what follows. 
Because of God's mercy for you, because of God's love for you, because God loved you first, you're able to to love. And the first and most important thing we're to do, what's necessary for all the rest, is to release yourself to God. Romans 12.1, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. To obey the commands of God, we must first release ourselves to God. Surrender our lives to Him. We are no longer our own. We are bought with a price. We're to surrender to God's will and God's ways, God's ways in all things. This is our spiritual worship or reasonable service. This is our passionate service for the Lord. This is as it should be. If Christ died for you, then you now belong to Him. Obedience begins by releasing yourself to God. You're no longer pursuing your own goals, your own purposes. Well, ultimately you will be because God will transform you and His ways will be your ways. Release yourself to God. And then you must reject the world. This is hard for us. Do not be conformed to this world. We are born into this world. Our, 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 our first nature, if you will, is to be part of this world. We cannot obey the commands of God if we are conforming to this fallen world. It's only when we reject the ways, the, the patterns, the ways of, of thinking, the ways of acting of this world, patterns of pride and, and selfishness and rebellion against God. When we reject those, Only then can we truly be able to live in obedience to these commands. These commands, if you you think about the commands that we just looked at, Romans 9, they're totally counter to our world in so many ways. Loving your enemies. You want to destroy your enemies. We can't be in the world And obey the commands of God. To love this world makes it impossible to love God and to obey His commands to love others. So we must reject the world. And that doesn't mean we run from the world. I mean, we talked about this, uh, was it last week? I can't remember. It wasn't too long ago. You know, we're, we're part of this world and we're sent into this world and we're sent to represent Jesus Christ in this world. So, so we embrace the world's need, but we don't become part of the world's system, the world's way of thinking. And then you're to renew your mind. Romans 12, 2. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you will may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the clearest uh, little little verse, the clearest command or, or, or clearest part of Romans 12 that tells us how we can obey these commands. Because it says that when we are transformed, when we're changed, when metamorphosis takes place by the renewal of our minds, it's then that we'll be able to discern what the will of God is. We truly see what God wants of us. We know and we do the will of God when we're transformed by the renewal of our minds. And and, and it's the renewal of our minds that leads to our transformation. We're transformed by the renewal of our minds. And how 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 are our minds renewed? Through the the mind-renewing Word of God, I believe. Through God in our lives. 
through holding fast to what is good. That is God's revelation of Himself in His Word. And as we dwell on, as we spend time meditating on, as we seek to apply and obey the Word, our minds are renewed and we experience transformation. But that transformation, which is at the heart of obedience to these commands, there is no possible way you or I or anyone will obey those radical commands that we just reviewed unless we experience transformation. And to experience transformation, we must rely on the Spirit. That's our our next point. Romans 12.2 talks about our transformation by the renewal of of our minds, but it doesn't say exactly what we're being transformed into or who does the transformation. But in 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul makes this clear. I think it's implied in Romans 12, but let's, let's go to where it's really clear. Paul says, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As the veil between you and God is lifted, as you come into relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you're able to behold His glory. You're able to see who He truly is. You see Him through His Word through His working in your life. You see His holiness and His righteousness and His justice, His wrath, His glory. Your mind is renewed by the glory of the Lord as you see God. Your mind is changed. Your mind is renewed. It becomes something better. And you're transformed into the same image, Paul says. And that image is the image of Jesus Christ from one degree of glory to another. It's a process that takes place, a process of transformation. We are becoming who God has declared us to be in Christ Jesus. The more we behold the glory of God, the more our minds are renewed, and the more we're transformed into the image of Christ. And notice Paul makes it very clear, this is all a work of the Spirit. He says, this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. God has given us the greatest gift imaginable. He's given us, He's imparted to us those who trust in Him. He's imparted to us His Spirit. And His Spirit is working in our lives to bring about transformation, to change us from one degree of glory to another. The Spirit is changing us into people who can obey these commands. If you find yourself able to love someone that's your enemy, to meet their needs, it's because the Spirit is at work in you. The Spirit whose fruit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. God is transforming us. He's changing us into people who can uh, love people in ways we couldn't even have comprehended before the Spirit entered our lives. So rely on the Spirit to transform you. Submit to the Spirit who's seeking to transform you into someone who can obey the Word, the will of God. And if you find yourself struggling to obey, I think, I think these steps that, that I've outlined, I've given you R words for, or if you just want to read, uh, forget my R words, and go back to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, memorize it, 
Remember God's mercies. Release yourself to God. Reject the world. Renew your mind and rely on the Spirit. I think that's the, the process that we enter into to experience transformation. We turn to God, to His Word. We behold His glory and, and pray that by His Spirit we will be transformed into one who can love like God has commanded us to love. Amen? So that's, that's all review. And I pray that God uses this repetition. I think it's Chad that says we, we're... we're I, don't, I don't want to quote you, Chad, wrongly, but I think he says we're, we're stupid and we need to hear it again and again, right? Is that good enough? Okay, thumbs up. Uh, we, did, we can hear it over and over. And I think this, this, is, uh, this is stuff here in Romans 12 that's worth repeating again and again until it gets into us. Till it renews our mind and we begin to experience transformation. So now I want to turn to something new, at least new in our study of Romans 12. It's something I thought about. I, don't, I was riding in the car with Christina and she said something or I said something and I go, oh my gosh, that really works. <laughs> and so that'll preach is what I thought. This is icing on the cake in our pursuit to observe and obey the commands God has given us in Romans 12. When it comes to obeying God, I think we can often think it's something that we just have to grin and bear it. We just have to do it. Uh, That how we feel about it isn't important. God commands it, and whether we want to do it or not, we just have to go do it, right? Right? And to a certain extent, that's true. But, but as we've talked about these commands even, as God's commanding our emotions, God cares about our heart. And, and I think He cares about our heart of obedience. I want us to see that God desires us to find enjoyment in our obedience. So let's look at enjoying the commands. Do you understand? Do you, do you know... That there's great joy to be found in obeying God's commands. And that just makes sense, really, if you think about it. Uh, God is our creator, right? He made us. He shaped us. He formed us. He knows what's best for us. He's promised to work all things together for our good, right? Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And yes, He wants us to be happy. Did you know... Do you believe that God created you to be happy? Some people are going, oh, I don't know, pastor. That doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound right. I'm supposed to suffer for Jesus. And you will suffer, but there's happiness in suffering. Not happy in the things of this world, which is where we think we uh, find our happiness, but happy in Him. God created us to be happy in Him. In Psalm 144.15, we read blessed. And this is, this is the different blessed. This isn't necessarily seeking the good of. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. That Hebrew word blessed means happy. In fact, the King James translates it, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Are you happy that, that you're, a, uh, you're a people whose God is the Lord? 
that you're a person whose God is the Lord, does that come as a shock to you that God wants you to be happy in Him? That because you're a, 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 a people of God, a person of God, that you're to be happy? And part of that happiness and enjoyment comes in obedience to His commands. I think we've all experienced this joy of obedience. When we come to Christ, when we release ourselves to Him, we become His willing servants. As we, as we dwell on the mercies of God who bought us, who ransomed us, who saved us. And our desire becomes to please and glorify our Master. And when we willingly obey His commands, it brings Him glory. And along with God receiving glory, we receive great joy in obedience to Him. Uh, that was certainly true for Jesus. When it came to the most difficult command uh, He had to obey... That is, going to the cross, dying for our sins, experiencing that separation from His Father, taking on the wrath that we deserved. The author of Hebrews writes of of Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus went to the cross he submitted to, the, to and obeyed the will of the Father for the joy that set before Him. For the joy of glorifying God in His obedience and His surrender to Him and for the joy of redeeming those who would trust in Him. Jesus obeyed for the joy set before Him. Jesus found joy in obedience. And we're to look to Him the founder and perfecter of our faith. And Jesus tells us that we will experience joy, happiness in our obedience as well. Where does he say that? Well, specifically, I want to look at where he says it in the, in the Beatitudes, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He says over and over again, blessed, and like the Hebrew word, the Greek word for blessed means happy. Happy are the blank, fill in the blank, we'll do that, for they shall blank. That's the pattern of the Beatitudes. Jesus again and again tells us who will be, how to be happy. And what I want us to do uh, with the remainder of our time and leading into communion is to quickly, uh, I wish we could spend more time on this, quickly go through these Beatitudes where Jesus describes how to be blessed, how to be happy, and relate them to some of the commands we find in Romans chapter 12. So it's in, my my point is, and what I saw in looking at the Beatitudes in Romans chapter 12, is there's a correlation there. You know, Paul uh, was a student of Jesus. He probably, uh, I don't know, you know, I don't know if he memorized the Beatitudes, I don't know if Matthew gave him a copy of his book, but Paul knew what Jesus had taught, and I think it comes out. So the first beatitude says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed, and and I'm going to use the word happy. You know, I know we as Christians like to distinguish happiness from joy. The Bible makes no such distinction. It's an emotion, a feeling of happiness and joy, and you can call it what you want. We tend to relinquish Happiness to worldly things and joy to godly things. There's no such dichotomy in God's Word. There's, 
this feeling of joy. There, there, is a, there is a wrong seeking of your joy or your happiness in the things of the world, and there's a right seeking of your joy and happiness in the things of God. This is talking about that right seeking of joy, happiness in the things of God. Blessed, happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit are those who, and I hope we're all poor in spirit, those who recognize, if you're, if you're a Christian today, you're poor in spirit, because you, at one point you recognize your need for God's help. The poor in spirit understand their inability to save themselves, to earn their justification. And it's when we realize we need God's help that we release ourselves to Him and we obey that command found in Romans chapter 12, that foundational command to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is a command that the poor in spirit obey. And when we obey this command, we're blessed by inheriting the kingdom of heaven. So releasing yourself to God is not only the first step in obedience, it's, it's also the first step in, in an eternal, enjoyable relationship with God. There is joy in being poor in spirit and presenting yourself to God as a living sacrifice. No longer uh, relying on yourself, but fully relying on God. Second beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Living in a fallen world with its sin and death gives us uh, uh, innumerable reasons for mourning. But Jesus promises comfort to those who mourn. And that comfort certainly comes from the Spirit. But it also comes through through Spirit-filled people of God. The Spirit uses other people who are Spirit-filled. As we obey Romans chapter 12, verse 15, and we rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Rejoicing with those who rejoice, uh, by definition, brings joy, right? If we're obeying it, we're, we're rejoicing. But there's joy in mourning as well. As we mourn with those who mourn, we, we become their comfort. And they're blessed. And we're blessed through that. There can be great joy and comfort in in times of mourning with those who mourn. Third, the attitude, blessed are the meek or the the gentle and humble, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek are those who, who do not assert themselves over others. They're not seeking to further their own agendas, their own strength, their own power, their own fame, their own wealth, their own riches. And Romans 12 is, it has, has two specific commands that relate to this. Verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment. Blessed are the meek, those who don't think too highly of themselves. Verse 16, Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Those who obey these commands uh, to not be high-minded, to not highly think of themselves, to be meek and humble and gentle, Jesus says they will be blessed because they'll inherit the earth. They'll, they'll rule in God's kingdom is what I take that to mean. There's joy in, in rejecting pride and embracing meekness. Fourth beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Do you have a deep, uh, abiding desire for righteousness? To have victory over the sin that so easily besets us? Then obey the first command. 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice because that's the only way to be righteous. Presenting yourself to God, you become holy and acceptable to God. And so when, we present, when you present yourself fully to God, you will be satisfied because in Christ you're righteous. There's great joy in presenting yourself to God and, and receiving the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Fifth beatitude, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. There is great blessing for those who are merciful. They, I mean, there is no greater thing than to receive the love and the mercy of God or to receive the mercy, mercy from other people. And, and if you want to receive that mercy, uh, Jesus says, be merciful. And in Romans 12, Paul appeals to us by the mercy we've received from God to have mercy to others, to bless those who persecute you, to bless and do not curse. That is mercy. To repay no one evil for evil, that's mercy. What can seem crazy to us, blessing those who persecute us, Jesus says, will be a blessing to you. There's joy in being merciful to others, even to your enemies. Sixth beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart are those who who run from sin and run from evil. Those who do not conform to this world. They reject the ways of thinking of this world. And instead, they seek the things of God. They cling to what is good. Another way to describe the pure in heart, Romans 12, 9. The pure in heart are those who abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. And Jesus says those people will be blessed, happy, because they receive the ultimate joy of seeing God. You'll see God face to face, the pure in heart, abhorring evil, clinging to God, to good. And this comes in in stages, I think. Right now, we can see God as He's revealed Himself uh, in His Word and in our lives. And that is a great blessing. There's joy in seeing God. Have you ever been reading through God's Word and wow, and and something just hits you, wow. I didn't see that before. I didn't see how awesome God was in that. And that brings joy, seeing God. And one day we'll see Him face to face and and we'll experience uh, this eternal blessing, eternal joy, eternal happiness. The psalmist says, We looked at this as elders on uh, Saturday morning. We had breakfast together. Psalm chapter 16. At the right hand of God, there are pleasures forevermore, the psalmist says. There's great joy in hating evil and holding fast to good. Then we have the seventh beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. As we said last week, God is a God of peace, and He desires us to be peacemakers. He desires that if possible, verse 18 of Romans chapter 12, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. For when we seek to bring peace, there's great joy because our our sonship is confirmed. Who's your father? Who's your daddy? There's joy in being sons and daughters of, of the great peacemaker, of our Father in heaven. And finally, the eighth and ninth Beatitudes, take those together. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when... I mean, this is, this is uh, totally uh, crazy talk, right? 
isn't it? I mean, go out and say that Jesus said this. And people go, what? Blessed are you when others revile you. That's the same word, blessed. It means happy. Happy are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great. Rejoice in hope. That's what he's saying there. Rejoice in hope, for your reward is great in heaven. And heaven is real. It's not pie in the sky. It's not a story we tell our children. It's real. For your reward is great in heaven. And so you can not worry about the things of this world because your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is Tamada, right? Christina, I'm sorry. I just had... She's the only one that speaks Thai here, right? Uh, Normal. This is just normal. This persecution... I won't read it again, but in Romans 12, we read it already, we're commanded to love our enemies, to meet the needs of our enemies, to not seek vengeance against our enemies. And in Matthew 5, Jesus promises that when we obey these commands, we'll be blessed, we'll be happy. We can rejoice and be glad because we're not about this place. We're not about those people. We're about the kingdom of heaven. And we have a reward there. I'm not sure what that reward will be exactly, but I'm sure it will be awesome. It will be far above and beyond any reward that we could ever hope to receive here. So when you experience persecution of any kind, and, and we talked about the, you know, the, the, there's still uh, physical persecution in our world today for being a Christian. We don't tend to experience that. We experience other kinds of persecutions, but when you experience that of any kind, rejoice in hope. The hope of reward that God is waiting for you in Christ Jesus. Yes, according to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is joy even in persecution. And just so you, uh, you know, you don't, we, we sort of say, I don't want to do it for a reward. Okay, then don't read Jesus' commands. Because Jesus says, do it because I've got something better for you. And that, that, not, that doesn't mean you're just doing it for reward. It means you're doing it because Jesus is calling you to do it. And because you can release the things of this world because there's something far better. You're rejoicing in hope. So I hope this review of Romans 12 and, and its relationship it has to the Beatitudes has been encouraging to you. I hope it causes you to understand that that God wants more from you than just uh, robotic obedience. He wants you to have joy in your obedience to Him. I know it was a lot, and, you know, 13 previous sermons, you can go back and look at those if you want. My hope and my prayer is that you can take the time uh, to look at these things yourself. Just meditate on Romans 12 and uh, the Beatitudes Ask God to show you the great blessings that await those who seek to obey Him in these radical ways. Would you pray with me to that end? Father God, I pray that You would would work in our hearts through Your Word. You would bring renewal to our minds through uh, this Word, through Your Word that has gone out this morning. And we'll be transformed. We'll be 
people who, who seek to uh, not only seek to obey you, but enjoy that obedience. That we're looking to you, the author and perfecter of our faith in all things. Lord, be with us now as we, as we turn to the, the communion, as we turn to the remembering what you've done for us. In Christ's name, amen.